Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics, and emerging issues. I'm your host, Carly McMoore, and together with the AJP, I'm bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like and rate each episode and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. This episode is on pharmacy past, present, and future. What was pharmacy like in the past? How do pharmacists describe it currently? And what do they think the future of pharmacy might look like? Hear from experts in the field give their insights into pharmacy past, present, and future. Lauren Burton shares on understanding why we are where we are, linking early career pharmacists with experienced pharmacists, electronic systems being a way in the future, as well as quality framework and accessing quality data. So um, pharmacy past, present and future is an interesting concept. Um, uh, I think one of the things I've really learned um, from being on the PSA board is that it's really important to have an understanding um, of the history of the barriers in which our profession faces and how far we've come. Um, I came in as an ECP and a lot of ECPs have a lot of energy and a lot of passion and have a lot of willingness to go in and charge forward and solve all the problems of the world and I love that and we need to really harness that but um, being informed about the history and and the understanding um, why things are the way they are and and why there are good people who have have fought the fight before and um, haven't got it across the line and why that is um, really starting to generate a really healthy respect for that Um, and I think the more we can link in early career pharmacists with um, our more experienced pharmacists to understand that will really empower in a meaningful way our early career pharmacists to um, take informed action and build on the momentum and build on the lessons learned. Um, you know, Quality Improvement 101 is consider lessons learned and um, it sounds like a very simple thing but I think within pharmacy we can take some more time to share, share those stories and, and share those lessons learned. Um, I think presently our profession is at uh, a really exciting point. I, I have a lot of interaction with students and I am just continue to be so impressed by the quality of students we're, we're attracting to our profession and, and the level of insight they have into uh, the current situation of the profession and their willingness to, to contribute in a, a positive and meaningful way. And, and that's really exciting. I'm also particularly nice to students because I realise that they're going to be my boss one day. They are so good. Um, especially in WA, I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by some excellent excellent students who are are just so committed um, and that's really, really, really cool. Um, So presently, I think pharmacy, you know, PSA is leading the charge here and the conversations that we've had at PSA 19 um, have really shown um, just where we're at and where the profession wants to go moving forward. So we've got roles and remuneration, we've we've got digital and technology as a focus, we're talking about aged care, we're talking about Aboriginal health, rural, remote and regional areas. Um, we're discussing a lot of different topics, but in a way that has it has a lot of meaning and it has a lot of um, there's a lot been thought behind it. And for a long time, we've understood that we need pharmacists embedded wherever medicines are. But we're now starting to truly understand what that looks like, some definitions around it, and how we need to get there. So pharmacists in 2023, whether that with its 11 actions, 
is really um, the platform for us to have a common dialogue, a common messaging. And I think that's really important for us to be as effective as possible. If we're all singing from the song sheet, we're gonna we're going to be heard a lot louder. Um, and so I think that's really really exciting for me personally. I have a, a particular passion in, in digital and and um, electronic systems and electronic medicines management systems. Working in a tertiary hospital site, um, it is so incredibly frustrating to see time and time again so much time spent by healthcare professionals flying through paper, um, looking through charts. Uh, it's so inefficient um, and when we have electronic systems and automation where we can embed compliance, we can embed systems and processes and expectations of how uh, medications are interacted with, you know, with regards to storage and maintenance of inventory, things that are just so um, incredibly operationally um, uh, taxing on pharmacy departments at the moment and take that burden away. Um, and the safety elements that can be achieved. The Australian um, Commission for Quality and Safety in Healthcare details a really neat um, electronic medicines management uh, systems plan. Um, it's a great document for anyone who's interested and it lists four key benefits that electronic systems will bring. So the first is improved safety, um, medicine safety, um, which obviously is a, a key priority for our profession. The second is a reduction in waste um, and that's in you know waste of funding um, but also waste in the things we use as well. Uh, we're going to reduce the duplication of work. So if you think in a hospital setting how many times an allergy gets written into a system or it's located in so many different health applications and so many bits of paper, but we need a single point of truth for something like an allergy, um, you know, the work, so much duplication of work between uh, health professionals and, and, and within health professionals as well. So um, that, that, that benefit will be really meaningful. And the fourth benefit is um, increased efficiencies. And as healthcare becomes more and more complex, technologies around healthcare is pushing towards a patient-centred and patient-specific uh, treatments. That means that we're going to have to remember all these different algorithms of treatments for all these different patient cohorts and the cognitive burden that will be expected to be maintained by our health professionals is is huge um, and we, we, we need to make sure we have some active thought about how we're going to manage that because if our population and our healthcare system expects that of us then we need to be ready and willing to make sure that our healthcare providers are supported with those systems and processes to deliver that care um, and having a, a real and meaningful investment and strategy towards moving to, uh, into the electronic and digital space will mean that a lot of that information can be embedded in those systems. We can build those ag algorithms into those programs and our health professionals can focus on where they're most va va valued, which is that patient-focused um, care, working with the patient, working with our consumers to ensure that their healthcare needs are, are met in the way that means most to them and that clinical problem solving um, to make sure that we're delivering the best care for patients. Um, I think that that has to be the future and um, and we'll, we need to have that conversation now in a really meaningful way. We need to push for state and lo uh, federal governments to to be very aware of this and, and it's not just the My Health record and it's not just e-prescribing, it's the full system um, around transitions of care and quality of information, um, it's really important that we start to think about how electronic systems can improve these spaces as well. Um, access to information is so important. Um, we've spoken as well, um, one of our, our key um, focuses at PSA is around the quality framework and how we continue to monitor um, the impact of our interventions. And uh, 
being able to access quality data um, is dependent on the quality of data put into our systems. So we need to make sure that all our healthcare providers are supported to use whatever systems that they're interacting with in ways that um, is easy, intuitive and fits into their workflows and doesn't inhibit their ability to deliver care to patients. Um, but also means that the data in, that's input um, has some quality assurance around it so we can make meaningful inferences from that information and then inform the system to make improvements and, and to inform people's practice um, and allow for investments where we're, we're be able, being able to see real outcomes and, and rethink some of the challenges where we're not seeing the outcomes that we're intending to deliver. Um, so um, I know our Early Career Pharmacist Network feels really strongly about digital and electronic. It's the 11th action of our action plan and it turned it from 10 to 11, but I'm okay with that because it's really important that it's part of the next five years and, and, and beyond. Liam Murphy shares on how in the past there were three types of pharmacists, how people are currently not sticking to one career. He also discusses the roaming pharmacist, trying to become a better person and not pigeonholing yourself. Pharmacy passed when I was a student. It was essentially a lot of the talk centered around um, basically, are you going to be a hospital pharmacist? Are you going to be a community pharmacist? Or are you going to be an industry pharmacist? Um, organizations like the PSA are pushing for a much broader scope of practice, which is a really exciting thing. You know, as a pharmacist, it's an exciting time to, to be able to capitalize on that. Um, I feel like the future of pharmacy may, who knows what it's going to look like. Um, we're in an interesting point in time with social media and, and people being exposed to all different things that, you know, people don't stick to the one career. Um, I think one of the challenges for pharmacy is not simply just to retain its best people, but also work out a way where we can foster people to go out and explore other ideas um, and explore other concepts or anything that they want to do, be it travel, further study, working in different fields, and then providing an environment where, you know, they're comfortable and they're motivated to come back and, and show what they've learned and bring that into pharmacy practice going forward. Myself, um, I did a diploma of education um, pretty much straight after being registered. Um, there was a series of events that kind of led to that, but I was, I'd kind of realized through studying pharmacy that teaching was something that I, I really enjoyed and, and I wanted to like compound on my skills. Um, with the roaming pharmacist, that was essentially based around presenting a lecture, which had a few sort of themes and messages that I'd never really heard as a student and it had basically come across and it comes down to that continuing personal development of doing what you want to do and, and trying to make yourself a better person um, and allowing yourself to be a better communicator um, but not just pigeonholing yourself into the fact that I'm a pharmacist so this is what I have to do and this is my job and this is my career for the next 50 years um, you know allowing people to sort of rather than you know where do you see yourself in five years which is a common common interview question in jobs it's like what do you want to do in the next five years or five or ten years what do you want to achieve where do you want to go um what do you want to learn you know all different things so rachel dina and peter crubbers share on pharmacists being more clinical in the future and linking this to remuneration they also discuss recognition as part of a wider healthcare team 
They talk about the need for evolution of community pharmacy for patient outcomes. They talk about currently training for pharmacists being clinical, but not being able to be put into workplace situations where pharmacists are able to utilize these skills. And Peter Crothers shares on having the same conversation now as what was being had for pharmacists in the 1960s. Well, in the future, it has to be clinical because, because there's, no other, there's no other logically viable future uh, for for pharmacy. I mean, we, you know, we've been on this pathway to clinical pharmacy for, well, since the mid-1960s at least. And, um, and we talk about it and we talk about it and we talk about it and, uh, and our conviction grows stronger and stronger and stronger amongst larger and larger numbers of pharmacists. Um, and yet we never seem to crack it. And Guys, the elephant in the room is the remuneration system. Um, we just have to change it. You know, we, we can talk about um, the need for a clinical future <clears throat> for pharmacy, and as I say, it's the, it's the only thing that ultimately makes sense and gives us any purpose at all. Um, <clears throat> but if we continue to allow the remuneration system to... to um, disincentivize the practice of, of clinical pharmacy. It's just not going to happen. We're going to die. We're going to go the way of the blacksmiths. Yeah? There used to be this occupation called blacksmith um, <coughs> um, mechanization, the industrial revolution and mechanization you know, came along. The clever ones became motor mechanics and the ones that wanted to call themselves blacksmiths died. <laughs> they disappeared. <laughs> and we don't, we don't want to do that. And I, and I just think, I just think shifting the remuneration system is just absolutely critical to pharmacy having any future at all. It's about, well, in my opinion, it's about um, pharmacists obviously being able to practice at the full scope of their ability and being mm. placed in every situation where um, you know medicine expertise is required. And totally agree that that you know that the remuneration mm. model. Has to has to shift to allow that, uh, and I think it's also like the integration of pharmacists being recognised actually as part of the broader healthcare team more generally, and I think that though there is a huge responsibility on pharmacy and pharmacists themselves to place themselves within within that care team, uh, and I think that possibly. <coughs> In scenarios where you've worked in hospitals, where you know you have got multidisciplinary teams who, you know, have evolved into better collaboration and better systems um, to utilise the pharmacist, but I still think in community pharmacy, people um, pharmacists need to actually evolve that and get allow so especially well consumers as well as um, um, general practice to actually understand how we can contribute and for them to actually experience how we can um, contribute to the patient outcomes and how we can contribute to some of their responsibilities around you know patient safety in relation to medicine so being a, recognized as a valuable part of that and I think that you know like slightly getting there with a lot of the um, career pathways that are sort of being promoted now for 
pharmacists to follow, so some structure for people who don't know how to do that. But I think that, um, yeah, essentially just being continuing to have remuneration that recognises the areas where pharmacist expertise are required so that, so that we can practice at full scope and can contribute to the broader health um, outcomes of our communities in a much more effective and rewarding and remunerated way. Yeah, we're, we're training people to, to do a job. You know, we're training people to be clinicians and then we're putting them into practice situations that prevent them being clinicians. It's got about the same logic, you know, as training elite athletes. You know, so say we, we, we you know, we're, we're training runners. You know, we're going to train elite athletes, and um, and then we put them on the track and and put a set of hobbles, you know, tie their legs together. You know, so so you know, we're going to challenge you to a race. You know, we've trained you up. You know, you you're elite. We're going to challenge you to a race, but first of all, we're going to tie your feet together. It's just absolutely illogical, and and the you know I've been at this game for fifty years now, and I've just become absolutely convinced <clears throat> that that unless we take those hobbles off, you know, unless we untie people's legs, um, unless you know, which means in in pharmacy's case, actually rewarding them for doing what they do well, um, we're just we're going to be forever frustrated. You know, we're having the same conversations now that were being had when I was recruited to work for PSA in 1985. Having the same conversations now that um, that you know were being had in the 1960s and 1970s and it's and it's just it's ridiculous it, it's it's absolutely disgraceful that we that and wasteful that we're sort of doing this um, and, and it, sh it should just be unacceptable to people it should just be unacceptable collectively yeah certainly to the profession um, but it should be unacceptable to anybody else who cares about healthcare outcomes as well, you know, doctors, um, politicians. Ross Siuki discusses the present with pharmacists struggling with their identity. He also discusses automation, Amazon and Dr. Google, but the importance of the relationship with the patient as well as pharmacists practicing to full scope. I mean, I guess at the present, we're, we're, we're really sort of struggling with our own uh, uh, identity and who we are. And do we really, really want this, this being uh, taking a greater role in, in patient care, which includes things like prescribing and ordering lab tests and disease management uh, and injections? Uh, I think people do want that. Uh, and I think what's going to happen is that patients are going to start to expect it uh, if we do our homework properly, uh, then uh, patients will start to expect it. And so uh, I think we need to brace ourselves for that that new role. And it's a completely different one from when I started in, in pharmacy. And, uh, and yet this is, I think, the direction that we have to go in because um, one of my colleagues, uh, who's also named Carlene, by the way, um, I don't know why that's relevant, but yeah, <laughs> it is. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so therefore, she's cool. Um, no, but 
uh, she gave a presentation and she said, well, you know, I can see how things are changing. And, and I really liked uh, the way she put it because she said, um, now robots can do dispensing quite well. Uh, automation is, is going to take care of the dispensing process. And it, to a certain extent, it already is. Um, Amazon is going to take care of dispensing. Uh, you know, that's just a, not a matter of if, if it's going to be when. Um, Dr. Google, whatever you think of Dr. Google, is, is, is replacing advice and counseling that we give to patients. And, and, and um, you know, whether you like that or not, I, that's what people are doing. So the one thing left... The one thing that's left is that relationship with the patient. And that, I think, is, the, is our key because people love their pharmacist uh, and, and, uh, and trust their pharmacist. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's the one thing that could never be automated. No amount of artificial intelligence is going to, is going to take that over. And so those sort of relationships... That's what we have to hang on to. And, and in fact, strengthen. Uh, that's where I see uh, us going. Uh, and, and so it's going to be about those relationships, therapeutic relationships. Uh, and, um, and when you bring in the full scope of pharmacist practice, that's where that's going to really, really work uh, uh, well. So that is how I see the future uh, uh, being for, for pharmacy. And if you don't believe that, then fine, you know, but, but uh, you may not have a job uh, if you cling to the old things. Uh, or you may have a job, um, but we'll just call it what it is, technician. Uh, you know, you'll no longer be a pharmacist uh, in that case. So, so I think uh, you ignore that at your peril. Steve Morris shares on having a supply function and moving this to a more clinical function. Yeah, so obviously, you know, I don't probably need to repeat some of the historical tendency of pharmacy, but obviously, largely from a, you'd argue, from a supply function, really to a clinical function, and the various steps in between. So it's clear, I think, that, that pharmacy does need to push some of the boundaries in terms of its potential impact on clinical care. So moving away from that supply function, which has been the base and the tradition of pharmacy and would still be, don't get me wrong, would still be a component of pharmacy. But equally, my question would be, what impact can pharmacists have on clinical outcomes of patients? And what is the unique role that pharmacists can play in that healthcare provision as a partner working in collaboration with other healthcare professions? So incrementally, I think, over, over, over quite a few years now, both within um, the Australian environment and internationally, we've seen the pharmacy profession you know, maybe progress at different rates in different um, jurisdictions, uh, depending on the health context of that particular jurisdiction. But they're all kind of aligning in the same way. You know, what is the clinical uh, input and effect that pharmacists can have on patient outcomes? Because that really should be, I think, the future focus for pharmacy. Tinu Abraham and Taryn Gill discuss still being at a crossroads in pharmacy, the scope of practice expanding and being positive. We've been 
at a crossroads since I was a student. Like, sorry, that's what I thought of when you said that. I remember being a student, being told pharmacy is at a crossroads and then you go to your first conference and pharmacy is at a crossroads. <laughs> and I had to buy my own ECP party ticket for tonight, which means I've just hit 10 years. Um, no longer an ECP. And guess what? Pharmacy is still at a crossroads. <laughs> um, I'm very positive about the future. In some ways, those that are negative make it um, better for us that are positive to, I guess, reap the rewards and benefits of that. But I would like, obviously, the whole profession to be positive about it because, um, yeah, our scope of practice is expanding and the remuneration will follow provided we are all consistent in the quality that we provide. Yeah, I think that's a good summary as well. Um, well, in my own case, I feel like pharmacy is getting better or maybe I'm getting more involved. <laughs> getting involved. Yeah, getting, <laughs> could be, getting Yeah, getting engaged, yeah. So I feel like we are at a good spot. We are like um, the future seems a bit more exciting. There's more excitement around or maybe I'm mm. around more exciting people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but just on pharmacy past, um, I think – and certainly there's a lot of wisdom in those that have come before us, but mm. sometimes they're also our bit, they're our worst enemy in, in all this. Um, talking about the good old days and I guess reminding, as a new pharmacy owner, thinking about the margins that they got and we've obviously had PBS price reduction. They they practice um, when a pharmacy didn't cost much and chemist warehouse or, or any um, big discounter didn't exist um, from a competition point of view. So I think once you put all that inside and go, well, that's not my story, I've got to make my own, it's okay. But sometimes if you dwell on what they got, <laughs> yeah. it, it becomes a bit of a, yeah. Um, yeah. a bitter tablet to swallow. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any thoughts, comments or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP website forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please follow us on Twitter at AJP podcast and send us a message.